You're listening to the Crosscheck NHL Show, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Andrew Berkshire and Mary Clark. Hi, and welcome to the Crosscheck NHL Show. I'm Andrew Berkshire, from, uh, NHL analyst for the Montreal Gazette, and I'm here with Mary Clark, staff writer for For the Win. And this is our continuing program on the Crosscheck Summer Crossover. We have an exciting show for you today. We've got Lachlan Irvine from Locked On Canucks and Rachel Donner from Locked On Flyers joining us later in the show uh, to preview the Flyers and Canucks seasons heading into 21-22. And we've also got to, to talk about Canada finally slaying the Dragon in women's hockey and beating the U.S. after, I believe it was nine straight uh, tournament victories for the United States in women's hockey. So... Fun times for Canada there. But before we get too deep into it, this show is brought to you by the Locked On NHL Top 50 Players list. Who are this season's top 50 NHL players? Find out on the Locked On NHL podcast. Joe DiBiase, Mike DiStefano, and Rachel Donner reveal the top 50 players as voted on by our local experts across the Locked On NHL network of podcasts. Subscribe to the Locked On NHL podcast on YouTube and turn on your notifications so that you can never miss an episode. We've got episodes from... All the way back to August 24th until September 10th to reveal the whole list. That's really exciting. But uh, so, Mary, how has your week been before we get into oh the podcast? Oh, Andrew. How, how was my week, you ask? Well, huh. Besides feeling like you're in the middle of Wizard yeah, of Oz. No, I mean, that's exactly how it feels, Andrew. So uh, in my area, there have been multiple tornadoes. Uh, one that uh, hit the there's like a bridge that's like 10 15 minutes away from me one that like basically crossed that bridge uh according to the video footage it's uh it's kind of wild out here right now i mean i've been retweeting pictures of you know the schuylkill river in philadelphia is like the highest it's ever been in 100 plus years and flooding and like i said tornadoes so we had like there were like two close by my area last night uh and then a month ago we had one come through that was right near the mall where I go to all the time and where I I used to work uh, back in the day. So it is, we're surviving, Andrew, I think is the best way I can put it today. So if I'm not up to my best today, it's because I'm kind of like all over the place. I mean, there's just, yeah, a little stress. There's (laughs) just been a lot of stuff happening, I guess, worldwide over the past couple of days. So it's just one of those things where I'm like, yeah, a little stressed. Uh, I mean, thankfully... Everybody on my side is okay. Uh, friends and family are all fine, as far as I'm aware. But it's one of those things where, like, I live in Pennsylvania, close to Philly. Uh, this stuff shouldn't happen here. Or at least if it happens, it's with a rarity uh, that's not too concerning. But this is concerning. To have stuff like this happen, like, I've had to evacuate to my basement, like, multiple times this summer. That's yeah, not it's fun. not fun. It, it really isn't. And my poor my poor cat Luna is not a big fan of evacuating to the basement. But I think I'm gonna I, I bought her a harness instead of putting her in her little carrier. So the next time this happens, because Andrew, I'm sure there will be a next time she'll be on a harness instead of uh, in her carrier meowing for hours because we can't let her out. <laughs> so yeah, the carrier is a tough thing. I mean, this is not comparable at all, but just reminded me of it. When we were younger, we used to foster cats from the SPCA. And uh, the first time we did that, we were living in a, in a condo building that was like a full square block of condo buildings that were all associated. And for whatever reason, the management of this condo building told people that if they felt threatened in the night, that they should pull the fire alarms. Right? And... 
apparently there was like a lot of people who would come in through the garage and stolen mm-hmm. stuff. So this is what the genesis of it was. But long story short, a bunch of girls who felt threatened in the hallway had pulled the fire alarm to the point where it was being pulled almost every night at like 2 to 3 a.m. for like oh, three wow. months. And every time, because we're fostering cats, at one point we had a mom and five kittens jamming them all into a single carrier and then carrying them down like eight flights of stairs in the middle of the night when you're tired you're like oh my god these cats Mm -hmm. are so heavy so yeah i know all about uh, the stress of cats and them being like not wanting to be stuck and the meowing and yeah it's 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 a little bit upsetting but uh hopefully things get to calm down a little bit in pennsylvania and you don't have to deal with any more tornadoes this this yeah that would be that would be the hope andrew uh it's just one of those things where like i never thought it was going to happen here kind of things i mean like we get like severe weather sometimes you know we get like remnants of like hurricane sandy big snowstorms stuff like that but not like tornadoes that usually does not happen here and so the frequency it has is very alarming so it's just you know it's just uh difficult but yeah we're here to talk about hockey and i really don't want to talk about this so i guess you can take the lead on this one because oh andrew i am so sad (laughs) well i mean at a certain point you got to lose sometimes to make the winning feel good right I mean, that's how Canada always approaches, I mean, some Canadians. That's how I approach it when Canada loses, right? And got to say, this felt <laughs> real good. <laughs> Mary Philippe Poulin, it's always Mary it Philippe is. Poulin, uh, wins it in overtime, 3-2, gold medal for Canada. The USA has their streak of winning these big tournaments broken. And man, the knives came out for Team USA fast on Twitter. I mean, from a lot of the people that I follow, um, there was still like a, a fair amount of like jubilant uh, like happiness about like just how great this tournament was and how much, how far along women's hockey is coming and how many people are paying attention to it. And that's great. But also a lot of American fans were not pleased at the way that this roster was constructed mm-hmm. and uh, the way that it was coached. So Mary, can you take us through uh, like what I heard most was that they were leaning too hard on veterans and not on the young players. Is that what yeah, you thought? Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, like I've probably talked about in the past, I'm not like the most knowledgeable about women's hockey. There's a reason I rely on the people, you know, right. in the know. But yes, uh, I got that vibe from it. It felt very much like uh, the U.S. women's soccer team kind of has that same problem where they're relying too much on veterans and their roster construction is strange and doesn't make a lot of sense. And the coaching decisions are a bit weird. So they're kind of at least from my general wide point of view, they're kind of in the same basket, but it kind of bit them here. Um, and I guess I just wanted to mention Marie Philippe plan again, because man, what a shot that was. You guys in Canada are so, know, right? so lucky to have her like I, and it's always her too. It really is. She's just an incredible hockey player. That shot was, uh, I can't even be mad. Like I was kind of mad, but like at that goal, like I can't even be that mad. Cause it was so good. Like just, Oh, I'm like I said, I'm so jealous, but it really does feel like um, if this is like kind of the lead up into the Olympics for the U.S. women's team, they might be in a little bit of trouble just because their roster construction isn't great and their coaching was a little bit suspect. So this is kind of what we're going to see going into the Olympics. I'm pretty nervous if I'm an American because, I mean, these guys go back and forth all the time. I mean, USA, Canada, at least in, on, on the women's side, is an incredible historic rivalry uh, that takes a lot of twists and turns there you know you'll have dominance from one country for a while and then it'll be another country stealing some wins and 
bringing it back more towards the middle and their side. And it's just, that's why it's so fun is because yeah. uh, there's such a, it's, it's so historic and you get these back and forths. But going into the Olympics, which is, I mean, I would assume it's like their next big event um, because we're what, in September now? And the Olympics are in February, which is wild to think about, in my opinion. Yeah, that's and we, crazy. And we're coming off the that. back of the Summer Olympics, too, which never happens because this was moved because of the pandemic. Uh, so if right. this was kind of like a preview of um, how things will go in the Olympics, I'm a little bit nervous. But there might still be th- time for things to change. Um, maybe they'll look at their mistakes and see what went wrong here. But who knows? It's it's so hard to predict the Olympics because, I mean, what? We've had wild, like, endings, you know, the overtime with the puck hitting the... With the with the puck hitting the um the net and then you know Canada scoring and winning and then of course you know USA winning in a shootout however many years ago so like <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about I don't remember that uh huh and I don't remember the puck hitting the hitting the uh, hitting iron yeah hitting the, the goalpost goal yeah I don't remember that either I have no idea what I was saying there no memes no, about no, that for years never uh so it's just one of those things where like I'm I'm nervous I mean to be fair I'm always nervous going into the Olympics especially for women's hockey because it means so much. Uh, and it really does feel like the like the big thing of the Olympics. I mean, even when the men were there, I always felt like the women's side was always more interesting, more competitive, um, especially because we have no idea when, if like the NHL is coming back to the Olympics, so the women's teams have been taking center stage. So it's just one of those things where I'm, I was already nervous coming in and now I'm even more nervous because I'm like, come on guys, please show, please do a good showing. Please show well. I just, I want to beat Canada. This is not irrational of me, please. So we'll see what happens though. I, it's, it's, we're still a little bit out. It's yes, going to be fun. It will be fun. I am it's sure be fun. of that. And like you said, this is the, I would say like the preeminent rivalry in hockey period. Yeah. Right. Like we've talked about this before that if you were to be asked, what are the 10 best hockey games that have happened in the last like 20 years? I feel like at least five of them are women's games. Mm -hmm. And considering how many fewer games they play, that says a lot about the women's game at the highest level. Like that is how intense this rivalry is and how incredible the level of hockey is. And I, I'm just, I'm really excited for the Olympics, but I find it ironic, honestly, that the way that this game went and the way this tournament went is kind of backwards to how the last four or five years or so have been in this rivalry between Canada and the USA. It's always been, you know, like Canada expects to win always, right? They won, the, I think it was like three gold medals in the Olympics in a row. So even if they were losing at times in the world championships or whatever, Canada's always seeing themselves as like, they're the top, they're the top. But uh, I'm, I'm looking at it now, and it looks like it was it's not nine straight. It was five straight uh, gold medals between different tournaments for the United States before Canada busted this uh, streak that the U.S. is on. The U.S. hockey has been better than Canada hockey and women's hockey for a stretch here. And not just in terms of uh, like wins and losses or gold medals. When you watch the games, going back to like the last Olympics, it's very clear that the U.S. is dominating play. Uh, they, they've been a faster team. They've been coached a little bit better. And I think you could argue that like the goaltending has probably been better on the USA side as well. So to see that flip the script here, and like I looked at the expected goals for this game because a bunch of people have been putting in the effort now to do uh, analytics for women's hockey, which is Yeah, fantastic. we love to see that. We, and yeah, it's really great. Yeah, it's amazing, mm-hmm. right? 
It is awesome. And uh, shout out to, I think it's like Adam Z. Herman and uh, Dig Deep on Twitter. Uh, I forget the the full Twitter handle uh, that he has, but he does a lot of uh, women's hockey research. And there's a bunch of other people. Dig Street yeah. BSB. Uh, Dig Deep Mike BSB. Mike Murphy. Yeah. Uh, he's at the Blue Shirt Banter. Yeah, Mike Murphy. So a lot of people at the Ice Garden as well. All these people who are working super hard to get this data to us. But uh, Team Canada controlled, I think it was like over 58% of the expected goals in this game. And to me, that was a bit shocking because over the last few meetings between these two teams, it's been the U.S. really controlling things and Canada's high-end talent essentially keeping things close. So if that script is flipped a little bit i understand why you're nervous for yeah the yeah it like like you mentioned it it it's great that these two teams um i mean like you said the u.s has had a little bit of a stretch of dominance here but it's still great that they're they you know push each other to play their best basically and i think that's all what we want mm-hmm. from hockey um just in general and it's great to see you know the women's game do this but like yeah, it, it is a little bit nervous. I, I'm a little bit nervous, like, coming into this being like, man, I mean, Canada's just, I mean, not only do they have great players, like, their their play on all sides of the ice is backed it up, too. And, yeah, it is, it it's it's tough because I want to beat Canada as, you know, a, a person who likes USA sports, but it's also cool to see them succeed because you know that, like you said at the beginning, it will make victory all the sweeter uh, if and when they do beat them, because this rivalry is going to continue for years and years to come. And it's only it's only oh, yeah. going to get better, uh, especially with the new generation of women's hockey players out there. It really seems like this rivalry is set to go for a very long time. And that's super exciting. Like, like I said, um, it, it really is one of my favorite rivalries in sports. And like you said, it is probably one of the best ones. Uh, in hockey uh, and that is like the truth I can absolutely believe that just like like we mentioned the history between these two teams is incredible yeah absolutely and it is multi-generational now it's it's been essentially our whole lives like Hockey Canada the women's uh, section has was founded in 1987 which is the year I was born so this has been like we're, we're starting to get into the period now where women's hockey is not a fringe thing, right? Like we're starting to see it more on TV. Uh, it is the big draw in the Olympics, especially when the men are out. We're getting to a spot here where I wonder if we're going to have full on women's hockey, like league hockey on TV all the time. And I know that like we've talked about this before and what uh, the NWHL is doing with Twitch yes. is really cool. I, I think that uh, in a couple of years, like it, the way things are trending, we're going to see some massive growth here. And all that's going to do is make this even better as more women and girls get into hockey and start playing hockey. The talent pool is expanded. It's the same thing that happened to, you could argue, hockey, essentially in the 80s, right? Hockey, like in the NHL, was a fringe sport. You look at what the guys were being paid. It wasn't anywhere close to uh, other major sports. Things got expanded when they brought in more Europeans, more Russians, and now the talent pool is enough for 32 teams as opposed to like 16 or whatever at the beginning of the 80s. It's uh, it's a fun time. I think that we're going to see an incredible growth in this sport. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what can happen. And hopefully in the next 10 years or so, 
we can see more upsets as well. I, I love it when like Sweden or Switzerland breaks in and like eliminates one of Canada, the US and just throws everything up in the air for a tournament. That's always yes, fun. You're too. right. Uh, upsets are always fun. I mean, it is it does suck if you are the per, uh, the team that does get upset. Uh, but they make for incredible hockey. I mean, just sports in general. So it's definitely something to look out for in the Olympics. We should never know. I mean, we're penciling in Canada and the U.S. in the gold medal game already, it seems. But you never know. Uh, time will only tell here if we are we're looking at, you know, a repeat uh, for the gold medal in 2022 or, you know, Switzerland, Finland or someone else takes it. And that'll be even that'll be incredible to watch, too. Yeah, absolutely. And if upsets, you know what upsets are good for? Betting. And it's that time again. All eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest two hundred thousand dollar NFL Survivor Contest open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo and make a bet on Thursday, September 9th, the season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose your wager, will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using the promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports action from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Promo code locked on. Speaking of women's hockey, you probably want to get the best quality viewing experience. And if you want to do that, you probably got to look at direct TV. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another one that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part? There's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV. You can learn more at DirecTV.com. That's DirecTV.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Welcome back to the Crosscheck NHL show. It's just Andrew here today. Mary couldn't make it because we're recording this on Wednesday and Mary can't work Wednesdays. But I'm here joined by Locked On Canucks host, Lachlan Irvine. How you doing, man? I'm great, Andrew. Thanks so much for having me. Our absolute pleasure. We're continuing the cross-check summer crossover, previewing every single NHL team. And it's been really fun so far because not only are we getting to meet the different hosts around the network and like, uh, you know, just chatting with them and having fun, but we're also getting to like an in-depth knowledge of every single team, right? We're like, it's hard to know all 32. Like every year you you enter the beginning of uh, the season and you're like, hey, that guy's on this team. Like what? When did that happen? You, You forget what happened in July, right? So this right. year, we're actually going to have a knowledge base of every single team and what's the expectations, what uh, what happened over the summer. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks, obviously coming off of a season where it was very disappointing. Uh, they were expected to do a little bit more damage in the North Division, especially after a surprisingly strong playoff showing the year before. But uh, 
this is a season where maybe the Canucks have that hope again, maybe, you know, being removed from having, I know they had a really bad COVID uh, situation there last year and they've made some moves in the off season. So uh, first of all, Lachlan, tell us who's in and who's out for this team relative to last year. Well, uh, they lost two of their biggest uh, acquisitions uh, from the previous offseason. It was a bit of, of an uh, of an undo button for Jim Benning, uh, signing uh, Nate Schmidt and Brayden Holtby, well, trading for Nate Schmidt and signing Brayden Holtby last year. Now both of them are gone. Uh, a lot of what happened, a lot of the things they tried last year just did not work. It was very much a what could go wrong did for the Canucks, and it really uh it really did a lot of damage, I think, to the overall like brand of the organization and the way the 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 team approaches uh, the day to day. And so this year, it's kind of they're kind of really hitting the refresh button with everything. Um, they still have to they still are trying to have to sign Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. Those contracts need to get sorted out, uh, but they're bringing in a lot of new. Uh, a lot of new, uh, like bottom six talent. They're uh, in terms of guys like uh, like Justin Dowling, Phil DiGiuseppe. Uh, they get they got Jason Dickinson during the Seattle expansion draft uh, process, which was huge uh, for that for that center depth. And uh, they also made, of course, the big uh, trade uh, that brought Oliver Ekman Larson and Connor Garland to Vancouver, uh, sending uh, Louis Erickson. Uh, Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel and the ninth overall pick to the Coyotes. So it's a very different team than last year in certain areas, uh, in, especially like on, at forward. Uh, but overall, the defense is coming in a little bit. Uh, it's coming in a little different as well, but uh, with Tucker Pullman, uh, but a lot of the same faces as well, like Tyler Myers, Travis Hamannick, and of course, uh, Quinn Hughes. And uh, Quinn Hughes is expected to have a pretty big bounce back season, right? Like last year, Things didn't really go his way, and I think we could probably talk about the partners contributing to that on defense and just the general uh, lack of mobility of the Canucks on the back end, maybe put too much pressure on him. But he, he's a guy who's expected to carry the load, and as he gets you know another year older, another year more mature, just him alone should change the fortunes of this team significantly, you know? I would hope so. I think he has the capabilities to already uh, be the type of player where you don't have to worry about, say, nurturing as much. Uh, he's already gotten to that point. Uh, but the problem right now I see from the Canucks is just the fact that they don't really have a capable partner for him. They Last year, they spent most of the season uh, playing him alongside Travis Hamannick. Uh, and it worked for, in a pinch, but the idea was always that, oh, this is just a stopgap. This is just until next year when they can afford to go out and get somebody better. They can go out and get a real upgrade for him. Uh, but now Hamnick's back. Uh, they did not really make us a, uh, a specific signing where that to anyone's eyes looked like, oh, this is the guy who's going to play with Quinn Hughes. The the best player capable, I would say right now is Luke Shen, but you don't necessarily want Luke Shen playing on the first pairing with Quinn Hughes for 82 games a year. That's not exactly boding well for your defensive depth. So you hope that Hughes can hold the fort down. He definitely had to learn how to be a lot better in his defensive end last year than he is used to. Uh, but I do think he's going to take a, I do think he's definitely going to take a step forward and uh, make a, and make a better push uh, this year, particularly on the, on the goal scoring front, if they, they play the cards, right. Yeah. It's an interesting thing to watch. And I know that the, the Canucks haven't changed too much in terms of their like uh, front office situation, although adding the Sedins, is clearly something that maybe changes their perspective on a few things, but do you think that uh, the way that the team will play will change at all with these roster changes? Uh, I know the coach is still the same, still Travis green, but uh, 
do you expect the Canucks to still play the same style next season or are they going to shift things a little bit? I think they could potentially shift things a little bit more towards uh, a, like a high octane offense. They've definitely been a team that has uh, under Travis Green has more sat back a little bit just because they know they don't always have the scoring capabilities to keep up with the best teams in the league. And for, for the most part, it worked very well uh, going back to the their playoff series against the Blues a couple years ago where Travis Green did an excellent job. Uh, coaching, coaching against the blues too. And they won that series in large part due to how well he coached. And right now this team is looking so much better scoring wise. They're objectively much better when it comes to the offensive game than they were last year. I think you're going to see them try to get a little bit more uh, of an, of a, of an attack going than they normally would. Uh, and I, but I, I think it's also going to come down to the fact that Thatcher Demko has to steal a lot of games for them because that defense is still it's still not up to par to where it needs to be. And they just, they they're bringing in a lot of younger guys uh, like Jack Rathbone. They're trying to get him more minutes and put him in better situations as much as they can. And then the right side of their defense is still just a lot of question marks. So it's really, it's going to come down to them still having to play a very similar game to last year, but you hope that they might embrace a more, uh, a more offense first style this year than they, than they would have say last season. Yeah, I know one of the things that I watched with Vancouver over the last couple of years is they were a team that really struggled off the rush, both offensively and defensively. They didn't generate a lot of their own chances off the rush and coming the other way, they gave up more than any other team in the league. So that's a situation where I would look at maybe it's a roster issue, maybe it's a coaching issue, but that's definitely something that has to change before they can have like a sustained success, I would assume. Yeah. I, you, I think that Jason Dickinson is going to play a little bit of a role into kind of fixing that to a, to a certain degree. Obviously you can't do everything, but just having a proper shutdown center uh, on your third line uh, versus say Brandon Sutter playing a little bit above his, uh, his pay grade is going to do uh, is going to, is going to do wonders for how they're able to uh, transition from defense to offense. And I think especially he'll be able to say nurture along of Vasily uh, Podgolzin, who's likely going to come in and play on that third line. And uh, you have Tanner Pearson playing on the third line as well. Most likely that's a, that's a, that's a bona fide scoring line before the Canucks didn't have a, it didn't really had a very much a top six and a bottom six. Now it's a little bit more looking like a top nine, which is what you need to win in this league. So to have them get to that point uh, should hopefully help them in both ends. Yeah, and you're right. The top nine is essentially where the league is pushing right now. Uh, offense is paramount. I mean, not to say the defense doesn't matter because it does, but offense is where the league is trending. And uh, despite the run on defensive defensemen over the summer, I think that having that top nine available on your team is what can take you to the next level uh, in the playoffs. Now, speaking of the playoffs, Things are back to relatively normal next season uh, for the NHL. The divisions are back. The Canucks are in the weakest division in the league now uh, in the Pacific, which is a nice bonus. Two years in a row. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, as much as the North Division took a lot of crap last year, I think it's fair to say that the Pacific Division, unless Seattle's way better than everybody thought, has one bona fide playoff team in Vegas, right? Like everyone else is on the outside looking in in pretty much every other division. Uh, I mean, I guess it depends on what you think of Edmonton for the average listener, but uh, (laughs) I mean, the Edmonton McDavid's. Uh, But anyway, uh, the Vancouver Canucks, what are the expectations from both the fan base and management for next season? Is it to get back into the playoffs or is it just to make some forward progress? 
I mean, for management, it's a hundred percent making the playoffs. I mean, they felt they were a playoff team last year and you could kind of see the writing on the wall before the start of the year that, well, they might be in the conversation for say the fourth, the fourth spot in, in the, in the North, but you knew there was going to be a, a regression from the season before where they were just playing way better than expected. Uh, no, I don't think anybody expected them to be as bad as they were last year, but now there's very much this focus from management now that if they don't make the playoffs this year, uh, they're not, they don't have a job next year. That's very much the the line of thinking. This is, is this is an all in year for the Canucks. Now, whether or not that's the right call is, uh, is up for debate. Uh, but I would say a lot of fans are expecting them to make the playoffs. I would say I'm expecting them to at least challenge for a playoff spot this year. Like you said, the Pacific is not very good outside of Vegas. There is, yeah, there's not really anyone else that I look at and I say, okay, they're going to give you a very hard time. You're going to have a hard time getting past them in the, in the, in the standings. Edmonton is obviously when you have Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle, that makes it a little, uh, that, that, that's makes it a little easier, but uh, overall, I would say the Canucks could very easily finish just about any spot under like between second and and dead last. And I wouldn't be surprised, but I do think they're going to end up in the playoffs, uh, especially because they need to start showing to guys like Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser, whose contract is up at the end of this next season, uh, that they are capable of putting together a winner. Yeah, that, that's obviously very important. And like normally we would actually end it there. That Those are like our general questions that we're asking everyone. But we can't let you go without talking about Elias Pettersson because this is a big deal, right? Like this is what's been leaked out of the contract negotiations has not been too flattering towards the Canucks organization per se. And like the things that he's said. I don't think are unreasonable, right? Like he, he wants to stay in Vancouver. I think he made that relatively clear, but he also thinks it's very important to have like a, a clear strategy toward winning that I guess he doesn't feel that there is in that organization. So where do you see this going over the next little while? Do you think there's a possibility that at all that Elias Pettersson could move on from the Vancouver Canucks? I don't see him moving on and any sort of capability, at least not in the, in not, at least not in this off season. I think that right now, the way things are shaping up for the Canucks with the, with the cap space that they have left at their disposal and both uh, Pedersen and Quinn Hughes left to sign. Uh, I think it's very likely that right now you're going to see probably Pedersen coming in at something close to, uh, you know, a bridge deal, something in like that two to three year range that keeps him in RFA status without letting him just walk for free on the next contract and then trying to figure it out later, kind of kicking the can down the road, especially because uh, defensemen are at such a premium right now. It's more in your best interest to sign, say, Quinn Hughes to the max amount of money in term you possibly can rather than uh, than Elias. So, but I, I don't think there, yeah, I don't think there's any chance that he's moving on from the Canucks. I think it could come very down to the wire in terms of when that contract gets signed. Because I mean, it's today's first, we're recording this on the first day of September. Uh, We haven't heard anything really outside of a few, just like a couple comments about it. We haven't heard any sort of like negotiations or ongoing stuff in a, in a while. So it doesn't seem like it's coming anytime soon. Uh, your biggest worry is that it bleeds into the regular season. I hope that's not the case, but, uh, right now, I think you're looking at a, at a scenario where Pedersen ends up getting signed on something more like a short-term bridge deal. And while Hughes ends up with the, the max amount of money. 
Right. And I think from a fan perspective, you probably want to see both those guys locked up as long as possible. Right. Cause that's like your two franchise cornerstones, but that is where it seems to be trending just uh, be, because of the whole, just Barry Coke Kanyemi situation. Do you think there is any contract that somebody could offer Pedersen in an offer sheet? That the Vancouver Canucks wouldn't immediately sign. I, I would, I would be shocked if they did. Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's very much a case of, uh, if anyone gave Elias Pettersson a contract, an offer sheet that he signed, I think the Canucks would just go, cool, thanks for uh, negotiating for us. That's great. Uh, it, I think that's kind of where they're at this point. They can't, they, bottom line is they can't lose Elias Pettersson. I think the amount of damage that would do to the, from, for their perspective from the fan base and from everyone in, you know, every, every important person in the city, including probably ownership, if you lost Elias Pettersson, that would be just an immediate, just crushing blow to any sort of goodwill you've built up. You just can't, there's, you, you simply can't lose Elias Pettersson. There's no dollar amount right now that you could afford to lose him for. Yeah. You basically just have to take the lumps and move salary out of your roster at haste, take some yep. losses in trades, figure it yep. out. I, I'm with you there. Cause I've seen a few people float the idea that like, Oh, well, if the Canadians don't uh, match the offer with Coke and they should just p- offer sheet Pedersen. I'm like, they could give him 14 million dollars and i think the canucks would just bend over backwards and figure it out yeah they 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 100 percent would they the only reason i think people have uh suggested even the petterson on a petterson offer sheet have really just been to say make it harder for them to sign quinn hughes that's the only and that's and that's kind of that's the kind of uh 40 chess that not every nhl gm is really thinking about they're mostly just thinking about how they can make their own situation better so that's that's the only way it's gonna go it would go down but i don't think so (laughs) All right. That's perfect. Thanks so much, Lachlan. And uh, before I let you go, plug some stuff for yourself. Um, Yeah. Check out Locked on Canucks Uh, right now doing it every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And uh, pretty soon we'll be doing the the five day a week show uh, like everybody else. Uh, I also have another podcast called The Creasecast that I do in uh, with my friend Cody Sievertson and uh, and my blog, LockinTheCrease.com. I write about the Canucks uh, from time to time, trying to write going to write more during the regular season. So uh, go check that out. And follow Lachlan at Lock in the Crease on Twitter as well. It's the same handle as his blog. Thanks so much for doing this, Lachlan. And we'll probably get you on during the season to talk Canucks. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. Do you know the Built Bar has tons of delicious flavors? There's something for everyone. If you don't know the Built Bar flavors, well, you're missing out. There's coconut, cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate, and also the odd, you know, limited time flavor. If you haven't tried all the flavors or you're just an adventurous person, you can get a mix box where you'll get two of each of the nine flavors. Not only are Built Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're healthy too. Check out the macros. Each bar has between 17 and 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, only 4 to 5 grams of sugar, and only 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off of your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Welcome back to the Crosscheck NHL Show. It's me, Mary Clark. Uh, Andrew's not here for this interview. He's not feeling well at the moment, but hopefully he'll be back. Uh, but with me is Lockdown Flyers' Rachel Donner. Uh, you know, uh, you've been on this podcast before, Rachel, reoccurring guest, kind of like, I guess, 
maybe our third co-host sorry laura because i know oh, man. <laughs> i because i she's been on this podcast a lot too uh so maybe you can like co-host together maybe you're like the secondary co-host we've got on this show but how you doing rachel i'm doing good man that would be so much fun if if you and andrew ever need you know two subs in any given week uh, i think laura and i would be happy to step in yeah i think you guys would be incredible at it uh not to say that andrew and i don't do a good job every week but i would actually love to hear that podcast uh so maybe we could get the four of us on together sometime because i mean obviously we have history together we've known each other for a while and andrew and laura have known each other for a while and i mean i know her too but he knows her better so i think that would actually be an incredible podcast so if you're listening andrew to this recording i this is a this is a this is officially a pitch here <laughs> so so uh unfortunately though we have to skip friendly banter and talk about hockey and the flyers which i guess is kind of unfortunate depending on how you stand rachel so the big question is who is in and who is out so far this offseason for the flyers oh my god let me see if i get all of this because there has been so much activity in flyers land even since last we spoke when i was on the show with you so Nolan Patrick, Phil Myers left, and then Robert Haig, uh, Jake Voracek, and Brian Elliott. He left in free agency, but it's still a significant difference for this season. Then in return, we had Ryan Ellis, which we got for Nolan Patrick and Phil Myers, uh, Ristolainen, Rasmus Ristolainen from the Sabres uh, when we traded Robert Haig, and then Cam Atkinson came one for one with Jake Voracek uh, from Columbus. Then in free agency, we signed Keith Yandel, Nate Thompson, Derek Broussard, and Martin Jones. Yeah, that is a, that's a lot of players, Rachel. Yeah. And then we also re-upped Carter Hart, Travis Sandheim, and signed Sean Couturier to an extension. Oh boy. The Flyers have been busy. Uh, and I, we'll see how it pans out this season. I guess we're going to talk about that, but it's been a roller coaster, at least on my perspective, because uh, as you, the listeners know, I've kind of, you know, I'm in Flyers Twitter. Uh, it's kind of where I, you know, made my marks as a journalist being like covering the Flyers. I'm a local Philly girl or at least near Philly, not actually from Philly. Uh, so I I understand I'm deep in the sauce with Flyers fans, too. I completely understand it. And the highs and lows of this offseason, Rachel, are something to behold. Uh, can I guess? You talk a little bit about, you know, going from signing, I guess in the beginning, signing Ryan Ellis or getting Ryan Ellis and then getting Rista Line and then kind of like the complete 180. It felt like this fan base did from, you know, we're we're at our we're at our highest peak. We're going to win and then signing Rista Line and be like, oh, no, not again. Well, I mean, you know, looking at his numbers, Rasmus Ristolainen has not been a great defenseman in the NHL. And I think that you really have to look at what Chuck Fletcher has done with the defense overall for the Flyers and getting Ryan Ellis to be that top pairing defenseman with Ivan Provorov. Then the second pairing will be Travis Sanheim and Ristolainen. So you're putting Ristolainen now in a second pairing role, whereas with the Sabres, he was in a top pairing role. So it's a different kind of minutes. It's a different defensive structure. And so while it is very risky and this could fail spectacularly he could also turn out to be successful and I think we just won't know until the season starts then you know for the third pairing it's looking like 
it might end up being Keith Yandel paired with Justin Braun. Cam York will absolutely compete for that bottom pairing role, I think. But, you know, who knows what will turn out after camp on that front. But it's a definite different looking defense than the Flyers had last season. And that was one of the big problems because the defense was a little bit chaotic and definitely not physical and bringing in Ellis and bringing in Ristolainen and then having just a real solid veteran presence with Keith Yandel definitely solves all those problems on paper. We'll just have to see if it happens on the ice. Yeah, uh, I think I'm actually kind of I hate to say it. I'm kind of excited to see how it goes, because like you mentioned, this is like it feels almost like a whole new Flyers team. I mean, there's obviously certain staples still there. Claude Drew is still the captain. Sean Couturier, they just resigned. You've got, I mean, Carter Hart, which I guess we'll touch on shortly. But you've got like guys like that make up like, I guess, like the framework of this team. But then you've got a whole new like cast of characters i mean ryan ellis uh rista linen keith yandel Derek brassard of all people uh, and i know that signing came as kind of a shock but i'm really interested to see what this flyers team has and especially because they shipped out players like nolan patrick who many in the fan base you know had already you know turned away from because of you know he's had his he's had his moments i guess we'll say uh, where he he had his flashes of brilliance and then it really hasn't materialized otherwise. So um, what's it going to be like without Nolan Patrick? I mean, do you think that's kind of, I guess, a burden off of everyone's shoulders, his and the flyers, the flyers don't have to, you know, try and continue to get his development along and he can progress how he's going to progress somewhere else. How do you think that's going to go? Yeah, I I think it's fine. I I think a change of scenery does work out well for some people. And I certainly hope that's the case for Nolan Patrick, because I don't think anybody really has any ill will against him. It's just one of those weird circumstances where he had those health issues and that it just wasn't able to come together with the Flyers yet. And looking at what Chuck Fletcher wanted to do with this team moving forward, maybe there just really wasn't a place for him in the lineup there that would work out. And so, you know, using him as an asset in order to get Ryan Ellis, which was a great get for Chuck Fletcher. I, you know, I, I have no problem with it, but again, don't harbor any resentment either and hope he has some success out in Vegas. Yeah. I mean, I think that's all we can ask for um, with, you know, Nolan Patrick. I mean, it does kind of suck that, you know, if he, you know, now that he's gone, if he, has actual success will be like the Flyers gave him up and he could have been this, but it really didn't feel like it was going to work in Philly with him. And that's a shame because I mean, the Flyers kind of fell into that number two spot to pick Nolan Patrick uh, in that draft. And then like the players taken around him all have kind of panned out in one way or another. But that's one of those things, I guess is more for a longer form discussion for another day, but I do want to shift a little bit more towards Carter Hart, who I guess this kind this season, this flyer season, it kind of like, he's kind of the linchpin here because Um, They don't have Brian Elliott, like you said, backing him up. It's now Martin Jones backing him up. And uh, I mean, we've talked to the Sharks content boys here before, and they were it's it was really funny. They had mentioned that they didn't want to see him ever again. But for the Sharks to continue their downward slide, they wanted to have him back because he was so bad. Um, But can you talk a little bit about Carter Hart and, uh, you know, him possibly bouncing back this season and what that means if, you know, he can continue to take steps forward and we won't have to see Martin Jones often in uh, in net for the Flyers this year. Well, I certainly think they have a tandem in mind with Carter being the 1A and Jones being the 1B. 
And from the management perspective, their thought process of getting Martin Jones is that he is a starting NHL goaltender who can handle the workload that maybe Brian Elliott couldn't. Now, can he handle it well? I don't know. That remains to be seen. And for me, I think signing Martin Jones as the quote unquote backup or one B here is probably the biggest risk. I think it's a bigger risk than the Ristolainen signing just because there is that question mark about Carter Hart that you have both goaltenders needing to have kind of a reclamation year or a recovery year from, from bad performances last year. And that's kind of a dangerous spot to be in overall. That being said, I do have confidence in Carter Hart. If you look at the history of his career, he does bounce back pretty well overall. And he's been successful at moving up from level to level over the course of his career from youth to junior to international play. And, you know, he had early success in the NHL as well. And so given what he said about his attitude this offseason and how he's working out, what he's working on with coaches, I do think that he's coming into this season in a better position than maybe we would have thought uh, based on how last season went. And so I do have confidence in Carter Hart. It's just, again, a little bit of a risky situation there with Martin Jones as the other guy. Yeah. And it's, I mean, goaltending is the most important position, it feels like. And the Flyers last year were what, like historically bad at goaltending? Um, and it is, it's just, you know, uh, there, a lot rides on Carter Hart getting back to at least normal. He doesn't have to be, you know, the superstar. I don't think, I think he just needs to return to some sense of normalcy. Um, we'll see if the defense in front of him is better equipped to, you know, handle that and, you know, keep pucks away from him and stuff like that. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm really kind of excited to see this season because it really feels like there's. There's just a lot of unknowns and it's almost kind of hard to quantify. And I mean, as you were mentioning, like talking about like the new, the new additions and subtractions, I almost forgot that, you know, Jake Voracek is gone and we've got, you know, Cam Atkinson uh, and he's apparently a really quality guy from Columbus. Um, and I know that when we talked to the um, locked on Columbus people, they were not, uh, they were very upset that, you know, Cam Atkinson, the one that wanted to stay in Columbus isn't there anymore. So um what do you think he's going to bring to this locker room? Some sort of stability or leadership role? Do you think he'll slide into that role like really easily? Oh, definitely. I mean, the Flyers marketing team have been using him a lot so far, you know, doing intro to Philly tours around the city and, you know, using him in videos and some stuff with Gritty. And he has a really dynamic personality. And from everything I've heard, he is a really strong leader in the locker room. And, you know, one thing I will say, and apologies for, you know, bringing the room down a little bit, but, you know, with, Jimmy Hayes passing away. Kevin Hayes is going to need a lot of support. And it's just so good to know that Cam Atkinson, who's a good friend of his, Keith Yandel, who's a good friend of his, he knows Derek Broussard. Like he has good support around him from people he's known for a long time. And I'm just extra grateful, honestly, that Cam is going to be in that room. Yeah. And I think it's funny how Flyers fans have joked that Kevin Hayes was bringing all his friends onto the team. I remember that being like a big thing because, you know, uh, Keith Yandel is a big friend of his and stuff like that. Uh, so it's really good that they're there because, I mean, in times like this, you can always use a, 
a friend to pick you back up. And uh, I mean, we could talk expectations on Kevin Hayes at, at another time because I, I have a few more questions I want to ask you before we let you go. But uh, I think it's more than fair to expect to not expect like a whole lot because he's obviously going through a lot. But um, speaking of more, you know, younger players and stuff like that, um, you mentioned how players like Cam York are going to at least attempt to try and make a spot on this team. So you've got what Cam York, Morgan Frost, Igor Zamula, uh, players of that ilk. Uh, do you think any of these young players are going to actually make a spot on the opening night roster or will they be in the AHL and waiting for a call up for injury or if they, you know, show up and, you know, play brilliantly and basically have to force Chuck Fletcher to bring them up? Yeah, it's going to be a real interesting camp to see how this plays out. One of the things that Chuck Fletcher managed to do in all of these moves that I talked about, so many players in and out, not one prospect was traded in any of these moves. So all of the people that were kind of on tap to move up to the Flyers who got maybe a game or two in at the end of last season are still here. And all of them are competing for roles. So those guys that you mentioned, I think that it'll be really good because the veterans that Chuck Fletcher brought in will push these younger guys to maybe, you know, outperform what they might have otherwise. And, you know, one of the big things that happened last season was Chuck Fletcher putting a lot of stock in some of these young guys to take that step forward and not a ton of them did. And that led to a lot of the problems. And so, you know, that's partially why Phil Myers is gone and Nolan Patrick is gone as well. So I think it'll be good from a competition perspective to, you know, push both these depth signings and these young guys forward. I think, you know, what will likely happen in the long run is that the veterans will get the slots at opening night, uh, maybe Morgan Frost makes the team, I think, out of any of them, but that we all know this is a tight season. The schedule is jam-packed and things are going to happen where they're going to want to make some moves or there's in inevitably going to be injuries. There always are. So I think guys like Cam York, like Tanner Lazinski, they're going to get a shot. Um, and I think Wade Allison will make the team from jump as well. Just he had a longer stretch with the flyers at the end of last season. So I, I think he's really earned it from that alone, but again, we'll see how camp goes. Uh, so it'll, it'll be an interesting mix. And I think there'll be some up and down movement over the course of the season. And then, you know, we'll just see how it goes and who they wind up locking in. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know, I think for some Flyers fans, this wasn't maybe the most ideal off season. I mean, it kind of started for some Flyers fans, it started ideal with Ryan Ellis. Um, but kind of Chuck Fletcher made moves and people weren't sure, but I actually am, like I said, I'm excited for the season. I'm really interested to see if the mix was the problem, like Chuck Fletcher had said in the off season. Uh, but moving forward to this season, uh, we're going back to the regular divisions. We're back in the Metro, you know, Islanders, Carolina, Pittsburgh, Washington, um, a lot of heavy hitters. Uh, I think Andrew and I basically said that the Atlantic is probably the hardest division for this upcoming season but the metro is still has powerhouses even though some of them are on their way out um what are expectations for this season flyers fans expectations management expectations what do you what are the expectations for them this season i mean the expectation is definitely to make the playoffs i i don't know if 
management wants to say anything beyond that, (laughs) just because again, there's been so much change and it's hard to tell. I've had a couple of crossover shows in division with uh, Locked on Pens and Locked on Hurricanes so far. And I think we all have a lot of questions for the division going into this season because there are a lot of unknowns with all the changes on all the teams. And, you know, the Devils made a ton of moves. The Rangers made some interesting moves, I would say. And that Carolina looks a lot different. Is Washington on the precipice of that downward trajectory yet. Uh, So it's kind of hard to tell where the division is going to end up in the end. And so I think the Flyers have a definite shot at making the playoffs. I think they're coming in strong in terms of the moves and the attitude. Uh, I think there's a lot of moving pieces and parts in this division and it'll kind of, I think, start becoming clear, maybe 20 games in where we're headed, but uh, your guess is as good as mine in terms of final placement. Yeah, that's valid. I mean, I think I came on your show last year and we're like, I think the, I think the Flyers might be the second best team in the, in the East or whatever the divisions were called and look how that panned out. So I'm definitely not in the business of making predictions, especially where the Flyers end up because you never know. And that's kind of the, the joy and the pain of being a Flyers fan is who knows what you're going to get every night. Uh, So Rachel, plug your stuff, please, before you go. Uh, you've obviously been on the podcast before, but please remind everybody where you are, what you're doing, what the podcast is up to. Yeah. So you can find the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Flyers. And uh, I am on Twitter at our Miriam. We've got some exciting news coming up on the show with some uh, new voices coming aboard. So stay tuned for news about that from our Twitter account and on the show. All right. Perfect. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on today. My pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts that you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing only the brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money using rockauto.com. Why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? The thing is, rockauto.com sells at the same prices to professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, which is something that your chain store will not do. Rock Auto is a family business as well, serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years so you can feel comfortable that you're in the hands of people who actually care about their customers, not some faceless corporation. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. Go explore their easy-to-use website today and find the easy solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts that your car will ever need. rockauto.com All right, Mary, it's time for our pop culture roulette segment. And I got to ask you, I'm going to guess the answer is no. Have you seen No, I haven't, Andrew. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, I keep seeing things on the internet about it, though. Um, I haven't really had uh, time to do much pop culture stuff in between, you know, dodging tornadoes out here uh, and whatnot, um, especially since we talked last Tuesday. Um, For me, though, um, I did actually finish the Ghost of Tsushima DLC, the islands that... Uh, was new uh, so that was fun I finished that off last night 
while dodging tornadoes. Uh, so it was really fun. Um, definitely recommend it to people who played the original game. Or if you haven't played the original, I definitely recommend the game just uh, in general. And then my sister and I actually started um, a Disney Plus show called The Owl House, which is an animated show. Um, we started that yesterday. Uh, and we're really into it. I mean, we're only a couple episodes in, but we've heard really good things. Um, so we're excited to continue that. And I guess I'll also finish mine with a recommendation because it is September now. And that means that spooky season is here, which means which Ooh. means you all should watch Over the Garden Wall. A, I think it's like a 10 or 12 episode um, animated series that's got incredible fall vibes. Um, it's very short, so you can even binge it in an evening. Um, it's got, like I said, incredible fall vibes, great music, um, a really good cast, just awesome animation. It's really fun. Uh, and my sister and I were talking about when we want to marathon it again, um, for spooky season because September is here and it's time for fall, everyone. We should do for, for October, we should like rank the best horror movies. Here's the thing, Andrew, I'm not a horror movie person. I'm sorry to I'm sorry uh, I'm sorry Mary. to disappoint everyone. I'm more of the comfy spooky season than horror movie spooky season. So <laughs> I've never been a horror movie person. My friends took me to see um to see Saw, one of them in theaters, hated it. Um and well, Saw is more I know, of like a but slasher still, movie. Still right? I hated that. Um I saw my friend took me to see uh prometheus the alien hate oh, hated that, that. uh i had to wikipedia it before uh before we were there so i knew what to expect and so i knew it was coming i'm terrible at these types of movies i can't do horror i'm so sorry i know uh laura is laura more of that speed into like horror films and stuff like that like i don't uh, okay. think so all right no, no. It, that's uh she likes thrillers or uh, heist movies that's what it was Yes, oh, okay. ice movies is all right, Laura's cool. thing. But yeah, sorry, I'm not a horror movie person. It's just not my jam. Like I said, I'm more of the comfy, spooky season type of person. All right. Well, yeah, I don't have much for pop culture this week. I, I watched uh, this week's episode of What If, which was uh, based on Doctor Ooh, Strange. That sounds like it which... has had potential to be to go places. Yeah, it was very trippy and very dark, Ooh. I will say. Uh, I don't want to give any spoilers about it, but there was a plot point in it that might be related to or telegraphing something that happens in Spider-Man No Ooh. Way Home, which uh, I, I think is super interesting because I I, I don't like spoilers, but I, I like fan theories, right? I, I find that super exciting. It's one of the things that I think is so great about Marvel kind of bringing, not Marvel, but uh, Disney Plus, essentially, uh, bringing back like episodic television mm -hmm. where there's time between episodes as you're watching live. And it, it's kind of disappeared since, I, I would say like since Game of Thrones ended, everything's been really focused on streaming, right? And binge watching. And that started before then, but now it's like, Everybody wants everything all the time. And I enjoy a good binge watch. I'm not going to lie because it's like it's great to just go to the next episode and keep on going and not have to wait. But when you have the time between episodes to process things and talk about what happened and exchange fan theories, the hype for a show just gets so much higher. And I think we've seen that with WandaVision, with Loki. Like It's, it's just so much more fun in the end. So I'm enjoying the wait between episodes and... Now the wait between movies, which is already something that was normal, uh, the fan theories are just 
heading in all sorts of directions. I just hope that uh, people don't make it so deep into their head canon that they're disappointed. In yeah, the I mean, that's movie. what happened with, you know, WandaVision and I guess Loki too. I mean, I didn't really see much of it for Falcon and Lunar Soldier, but yeah. Uh, like, uh, I think I've mentioned on here, you know, I'm all good with fan theories. I love them. I consume them. Uh, I was really into uh, Game of Thrones theories uh, back in the day. Uh, I listened to a podcast that was like, uh, since I'd read the books, I knew what was coming. But once, you know, got out of the books, we had no idea um so i was really into this podcast that was you know a spoiler cast because like all the people like the people had either read the books um and were really into the spoilers and i really enjoyed that type of stuff uh so i'm all for you know theory crafting and everything but at the end of the day you can't let it ruin your enjoyment if it doesn't happen because um it just depends though because if you're like the game of thrones writers and you change things uh oh, if yeah, you change things because people get it right no that's not great storytelling great storytelling is you know building those blocks showcasing your work and if people pick up on it that's the hallmark of a great story and if you deliver a twi the twist and people knew what it was they'll still be excited because they'll think they're really smart for knowing what was coming so i'm very much a proponent of you know i'm here for you know building things up like that and the theories and stuff but don't you know don't go too overboard and think that it has to be this or else it's bad. Uh, so. Yeah. I think the, if some major plot point in your show becomes like a meme that people make fun of, it's probably a bad mm -hmm. sign. Like you remember when game of Thrones ended and everyone was always making fun of like, but who has a better story than brand oh, the broken? I it's was like, oh god this the is Game so of Thrones awful. finale I didn't really like but I only cared that my good Stark children who I loved since the very beginning were alive and okay so this, this is, is the, that's the only thing that mattered to me by the end I had resigned myself to being like I'm not going to be happy with this but my Stark children are okay and that's what matters to me so yeah I mean probably psychologically broken yeah. all of them but you know they're physically yeah, alive yeah. and that's kind yeah. of what matters oh man let's not talk about Game of Thrones anymore I can't believe <laughs> how much that dropped out of pop culture after that ended it's, oh yeah it's, it completely yeah. died I feel bad for people who are in like video game development who like there was several uh, Game of Thrones video games that dropped right after that and just like millions invested mm -hmm. and just yeah. nothing you know, like merchandisers, like all those people who had so much invested in the popularity of that show just destroyed. And then there's George R. R. Martin, who's like, I'm just going to wait, you know, another 10 years before publishing my next book. But yeah, we'll, uh, well, let's not get too better <laughs> about that. It's only been since I've been married since the last yeah. book came out, which is literally ten, over 10 That's years fine. ago. That's fine. He's doing, uh, he's so, doing uh, background work on the video game Elden Ring. Uh yeah, oh, well, great. I'm excited for that. It's supposed to be, it's looking really good. It's one of those Dark Souls games, so it's going to be difficult, but George R. R. Martin did all the world building. He's not writing it. He just did, like, the background lore slash world building, which I think is what he excels at. So I am actually it intrigued is. as to what, what he built there with the, with the people uh, from from soft so look out for that at least if you're a george yeah, R. Just, R. martin fan and at least want to get yeah. some interesting lore because i like i said i think his world building is really neat uh we'll see if he ever finishes it those i just yeah i'd like him to finish those books before he passes away that's 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 yeah. my big thing he set up something so grand just please george <laughs> finish please. it it's been 10 years since the last one. Oh. Let's go. All right. Uh, that's all we have for you today on the Crosscheck NHL show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. And before we let you go, we got to tell you about Locked on Bets. Betting on the NHL doesn't have to be a guessing game. If you listen to the new 
Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favored picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts.